diatribe, a weekly discussion of culture, news, and stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado, the most fascinating city between Omaha and Salt Lake. Each week on the show, we discuss three topics and then dispense some love and hate. With me, as always, Jared Jekang Mayer, uh, staff writer for FaceTheState.com, as well as Joel Warner, staff writer for Westward. Me, I'm your host, John Dicker, washed-up author and journalist. This week on the show, Stan Garnett, Colorado's first pro-marijuana attorney general. Denver Film Society moving to East Colfax, Colfax at the Lowenstein Center. And the question of will Loveland's avant-garde art scene ever be the same after the destruction of Blowjob Jesus? All right, let's get to Stan Garnett. This is uh, the attorney general race uh, with incumbent John Southers. Uh, we framed it as, is he the first pro-marijuana attorney general? Because there is are some stark differences on the pot issue. Joel, you've interviewed, you've interviewed Garnett. Yeah, Southers has been our attorney general since uh, 2005. He's a Republican. He seems to be, you know, up until possibly this race, one of kind of the holdout Republican elected officials that we have statewide. He's definitely pretty old school. You know, he's been fighting against medical marijuana ever since it was first voted in in the year 2000. On, on what grounds? Even from the very beginning, he said it was going to end up being a clusterfuck and a backdoor to legalization. He wrote letters to legislators uh, la- uh, last session when they were considering new medical marijuana regulations. I mean, he's just been against any lo- any laws or rules that would loosen up uh, marijuana regulations. And then you have Stan Garnett, who uh, came in as Boulder uh, DA in the in 2008, replacing the very controversial Mary Lacey. And ever since he started, I mean, he's been involved with these really headline-grabbing different adventures, from uh, supporting the Naked Pumpkin Run to getting involved with the whole Balloon Boy issue, how he was going to look into whether or not the sheriff up there had any sketchy dealings. Is he a hippie? Well, there seems to have been this strange evolution with him last summer, the summer of 2009. He was prosecuting a case against uh, this guy named Jason... Love or Luav was one of the first big medical marijuana cases. This guy was was in a wheelchair and he got busted for having all this medical marijuana, but didn't have the right amount of cards or whatnot. So Rob Corey defended him, and it was actually a big win for the patient. He actually got a, his big box of medical marijuana back. And Stan Garnett was the loser in that case. Literally within like three or four weeks, he seemed to have completely switched his position. Switch his position. He told me at Westward that he thought that legalization of marijuana would be so much easier. He said he wanted to be, quote, the most progressive DA in Colorado on medical marijuana. Well, what was it about that case, did he say, that prompted him to all of a sudden shift his thinking about this? about medical marijuana. He hasn't said that, and it's hard to say whether it was anything about that case. I'm not sure you know, if he just read the tea leaves and was just much more forward-thinking than all, than all the other elected officials in terms of knowing which direction to jump on the bandwagon. Because, I mean, at that point, you know, officials were just avoiding the issue completely. But there's nothing, there's no electoral mileage to be gained by being the pro-pot candidate. Uh, I, I don't think they have a, a kind of voter base. Am I wrong? I mean, he's still he's still 10-point polls, uh, which is significant. That, I mean, out. what you just asked is sort of the interesting thing when you looked at this race three or four months ago, I was wondering myself, would Garnett's open stance on medical marijuana actually benefit him in any way? And I don't know, it doesn't really seem like it, A, because... You know, yeah, you get a lot of um, maybe uh, younger, progressive uh, people who, are, you know, think that medical marijuana and marijuana in general should be legalized. But the question is, is are those potheads going to go to the polls 
and vote for attorney general. I think it might be different if Colorado actually had gone through with you know a legalization measure this fall like they are in California, which they were considering. I mean, I think if that had happened, you would have brought more young voters to the polls. There's not really a whole lot of issues on this ballot that really will attract young voters. Which is unfortunate, as we talked about last week. Potentially that gives the ugly three, 60, 61, and 102 a better chance of passing, I, w- I would say. And I think Stan Grant has uh, realized that. I mean, if you look at his website, I mean, he doesn't really play up medical marijuana. You know, we go to the endorsement page. He doesn't note how Rob Corey, this is it. Rob Corey's made a big deal on, on some Huffington Post uh, story he wrote about how this was the first Democrat that he was ever going to endorse. You know, Stan Garner, of course, doesn't mention on his website or any of the medical marijuana groups that have come out in support of him. They haven't? Why wouldn't they? I don't know. As you go to the endorsement page, you know, it talks about how the fraternal or of the police are supporting Stan Garner and all this stuff, but not that. Well, and, and that seems odd to me because medical marijuana as an issue is something that the thinking on medical marijuana among the electorate in Colorado has has changed over many, many years. And people are a lot more supportive of medical marijuana is even giving a sort of an open door to possible legalization. I would wonder if Garnett, if he did play that up, if he did try to get out the pot vote, so to speak, that he could motivate some of these. This is just a daily show correspondent clip waiting to happen. Getting out the pot vote in in, in Colorado. Cue Jason Jones. All right. Yeah, there we go. I can well, see I think it. in some ways he's trying to have it both ways. I mean, recently he did release a press release playing up uh, the Chris Barkowitz uh, medical marijuana case. Uh, Chris Barkowitz was this guy on his ranch who went on Channel 9 advertising his big pot grow, and the next day the DEA showed up and like, busted oh, him. Well, yeah, why surprise, did you show surprise. Up my house? And I was but, like, oh, it's on yeah, TV. But, I mean, he, he's kind of become this kind of bumbling kind of a spokesperson. So he's playing up that. But then also, Dan Garner has been playing the Willie Horton card lately. He had this commercial come out all about us, Scott Kimball. And honestly, I think he will get a lot more mileage attacking Southers for releasing or having a partner releasing this guy who went on to be a serial killer. Okay. Good point. We gotta, that's all the well, time. Well, I we think have. we have to bring up one other point about Oh, uh, yeah, that we Stan both... Garnett. Joe the and the I... most important point at all about <laughs> Stan Garnett is the fact that he looks just like Bill Hendrickson from Big Love. Also known as the actor Bill Paxton, which both Joel and I in our notes... Uh, for, for this episode. Yeah, the most important Both thing I want to talk about. Independently, <laughs> we came up with this point to make that he looks... We'll, we'll post a uh, photo so, so people so can... We, so, in other words, we really won't be that surprised if it turns out that's not, as Dan Garnett has at least three wives. Exactly. Well, he could bring out the polygamy vote. Exactly, <laughs> oh, which yeah. is huge, huge. <laughs> which is probably bigger than the, than the <laughs> well, pothead they large, vote. They have large families. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Uh, this week, we found out that the Denver Film Society, uh, which has its home at the... Tivoli and the Auroria campus is moving to the Lowenstein Center, which is where the Tattered Cover is and Twist and Shout. And it was formerly the home to Neighborhood Flicks, which uh, had about a nine-month run in, I think, 2008. And it was slated. It was very controversial for a while because it was going to be the site of a proposed uh, tavern hospitality group. They run the tavern downtown, the tavern. There's like five of them, DTC. And there was a lot of, you know, uproar on neighbors complaining because it was going to have, you know, a maximum occupancy of 700. It was going to be like a music venue and restaurant. And the neighbors were up in arms. And now, you know, that seemed like it was going forward. And then all of a sudden this news breaks, and I'm sure this deal has been on, in the works for a while. I think it's – I probably can say it's a no-brainer that this is this is a good thing for the city. Well, yeah, I, I, I think that just hearing the news was really surprising, and it was kind of like, well, what are they going to do with this space? I mean, you have – it's an awesome location. It is connected to 
twist and shout and i mean it was just such a destination and to have something where you could go and see films the only thing that struck me was the denver film society their home there at the tivoli they have access to multiple screens right but it at this former na- neighborhood flick site it's just one screen no no no, no, no. Yeah, are there no, multiple they, screens no, they, they have one big screen and a couple of smaller yeah they have black one box. big i think they have two decent size if i remember right two decent size one and one really tiny one which it's really it's tiny but it's still nice it's it's it has couches and it's it's a nice place it, it feels very intimate i guess my bigger question is what is it about the film society that will make it succeed there where neighborhood flicks failed the big thing i was thinking about that too is the big thing is that that the you know the film society is sponsored it's a non-profit and is sponsored you know by stars it gets other pretty sure it gets other non-profit other grants because yeah. it's screening stuff that's you know that's art house you know that's a revival and they're set up different so they don't have to bear the brutal force of the marketplace well and i also think that like they were, they were able to make a really long good run of it at the tivoli which isn't really that great of a place to go i mean you just no. go there and you park and then you get out and you go see a movie and then you get in your car and you drive off i mean that's that's it at the at the lowenstein complex you know it's it's, it's more of a cultural destination so it might tie into um you know people who go and see this art house cinema are more likely to attend if they if it's at this complex and if it's at the tivoli i think right and what does it do to the stars film center in some ways i always kind of confuse both kind of uh the film society and the stars film center i didn't necessarily kind of identify which movies were associated with a film society and which were just kind of the normal kind of stars film center uh lineup so what how does this affect what's going to be shown at the at the film center if anything I don't know. I don't uh, know. I, assume, I mean, would I it make it more anything. mainstream the lineups at the well, stars? I haven't or? read anything about what they're going to do with at, at the at the Tivoli now that the Denver Film Society is gone. I mean, the Denver Film Society I thought was the one that set up all the programming. So the all the programming at the stars was from the film center. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah. So what do you do with that great space? With at the Tivoli? Yeah. I wouldn't call it a great space. Well, I mean, well, they, they have, have multiple theaters. theaters and I, stuff. Well, they probably just, you know, I, I don't, I don't know films. that anything. I don't know that, you know, who if if the DFS isn't running that, I, I imagine those screens are going blank. That would be my guess. The only, mm-hmm. the only other thing that I think that this could be a downside on in, the, in this article, some of the articles that we read mentioned this said at the Denver International Film Festival, what are they going to do about some of these? Uh, you know, they need multiple screens. You, you're going to run out of space really quickly there at the at the Lowenstein complex. And at least at Auraria, they had they had access to multiple other buildings, the King Center, right. other large facilities to do these showings it's sort of the auraria campus was good when you're doing this uh large film festival but not so good just on a day day in and day out basis yeah that that will remain to be seen which we'll find out in a few weeks when the film starts because uh, this is all happening pretty quickly uh, i mean this is all happening within a, a month i mean i think the film center or the film festival is mid-november and that's when this is, this transfer is happening so it's we'll, we'll we'll definitely find out yeah the other thing i'm kind of curious about was just the, you know, there was back when the neighborhood flicks folded. I remember reading a lot of, well, there's just not enough parking to make this theater viable. I don't see them adding more parking. Is that suddenly, is that issue suddenly off the table? Or was that just a weak excuse for the fact that neighborhood flicks uh, collapsed because of poor management or whatever? Right. It was poor management. And from what I understand, they could not get access to the first run art house feature. Yeah, they did have a pretty, pretty poor lineup when I remember. Yeah, that's right. They, they, they just couldn't get it. But we'll see. I'm, I'm rooting for this to work for sure, mainly because I can walk there. Let's get uh, to the other. You know, we talked last week about how much we love cranks. And lo and behold, not from Colorado, but in Colorado, 
we got a crank angel from Montana in the uh, in the form of Kathleen Folden, age 56, truck driver, came to Loveland to to uh, support Jesus and take a crowbar to Enrique Chagoya's The Misadventures of the Romantic Cannibals, which I did try to find. Maybe I didn't do a good search, but I couldn't actually find the images. Joel, you've seen it. Yeah, we found a pretty pixelated photo of it and put it on Westward's website. It's kind of this like comic book style a design and the last panel shows uh jesus's face on top of a woman who who is apparently receiving uh cunnilingus so it's not a blowjob jesus yes i think uh to be completely anatomically correct we have to say cunnilingus jesus that doesn't have the same ring um maybe we, we need to throw it out to our our listeners to come up with a better better name for this passion of the christ <laughs> excellent now this thing nothing did inspire you know a lot of protests i mean just this week it sort of blew up in the uh, more conservative media. I was listening to Capitalist and Silverman, and they were railing about how this was anti-Catholic art. It was Jesus pornography and how horrible it was. But what was interesting about it is the only way that they could really get their teeth into it as an issue wasn't the fact that they said the artist shouldn't be allowed to do this, right? Because then that's, it goes against the First Amendment and free speech. It's the fact that this occurred at, a, at Loveland's sort of public art gallery, and therefore they can say, you know, my, my tax dollars are going to Jesus pornography. How, what an outrage. Uh, the news traveled fast all the way to Montana. I have to admit, I mean, I, you know, it is kind of surprising that Loveland would go for this. I mean, Loveland has this weird history of just opposing all sorts of not really that controversial uh, artworks. Like multiple times, different Loveland religious groups have come out in opposition of nude statues yeah there's just those, randomly there's nude statues, statues a few years yeah, ago yeah 2006 there were you know there was this kind of statue of two naked men and naked like woman a normal like bronze naked statue that have been around like for centuries in like a traffic roundabout yeah <laughs> and it was too close to a church or something so therefore people you know violently kind of oppose this so in some ways I, it does seem kind of ballsy for Loveland to say now we're going to put out blowjob Jesus or kind of like it's well, and Jesus speak, and speaking of ballsy though it does remind me of back in the day I, I don't know how many years ago this was but there was that issue with the dildo-related art at the Boulder Public Library. Do you guys remember this? I, I, saw, I saw the story on and, this. And what it was is the Boulder Public Library has this kind of art area attached to it, and one of these art pieces had something to do with these uh, clay sculptures that were molded out of dildos, and they were sort of strung along this thing. And somehow, I, I can't remember quite what, but it, somehow it was like anti-man. It was anti-male, anti-male right, okay, anti okay. gender. And so then this... So some crank, uh, I really like that word crank, I'm like saying it all the time now, came in from probably Longmont or Loveland, drove out <laughs> there and stole the clay dildos and like took it to his house and they like the Boulder County but Sheriff like know, came out. Right, saying he was a the dildo bandito. El dildo. I oh yeah, El, El, El dildo bandito. bandito. Which yeah. I mean brings up the point that uh, someone needs to give this woman some type of like superhero nickname. I mean she drove from Montana, was wearing some t-shirt that said like tougher than nail and she went into her crowbar, smashed through this thing and tore up this... Uh, his comic book within within seconds before the police could stop her. So I mean, what and type she was of nickname? Scream, wasn't she screaming about? Oh yeah, like, she was God. Yeah, and... yeah. Well, let, let me let me rant for a second because well, the thing that uh, pissed me off is uh, you know the attorney uh, Cliff Strickland is a Denver attorney in, in his initial statements. Um, Kathleen Folden is a woman of strong religious convictions and deep faith. He said before going on to basically blame uh, the city of Loveland or the Loveland Ar the gallery. For showing this, it, it was despicable, and just the notion that your client—you know—she's a woman of deep faith. 
So that, that makes it okay. That's the implicit suggestion. So I, I just find that I've always... Well, doesn't this also get into the realm of artwork that was, or cartoons depicting Muhammad, and right. how the Muslim world came out violently against that, and surprisingly, you know, there were a lot of lefties and a lot of liberals that, you know, blaming the, like, Dutch cartoonists or blaming other people, saying, you know, this, is, this was too offensive, you just don't understand, you shouldn't be... I blame multiculturalism on it a little bit, you know what I mean, where everyone's practice must be considered everyone's everyone's cultural and religious practices are of equal merit and worth and it, it cripples people from reality you know extremists who are insane you can't call them that because you have to be sensitive to cultural difference fuck that well i mean aren't it, liberals and progressives who do take that double standard aren't they being kind of hypocrites where yes. they would say they would say oh you need to be more sensitive to to islam by not you know to, to doing these crazy, cartoons but but, but then but, the, but then but then they'll at the same moment in the same breath they'll look over here at this thing that happened in loveland and they'll say oh, oh she's a, a nut. nut she's a uh, nut this is artwork and she overreacted and how horrible this is are people hypocrites uh, and how about the conservatives i mean are the conservatives coming out and now you know the same people who who condemned you know condemned these uh death threats against these cartoonists for the muslim cartoons are they condemning her for you know for destroying blowjob jesus well I, I, no i think i think that that they'll say and i actually have read some commentary about this well this was too far you shouldn't have had this violent reaction but there was a lot of conservatives out there calling for the city of loveland and the art gallery to take this down there was a um you know, one of the city councilmen up there was was advocating that this artwork be removed, and there were there were protests outside. of So it. I mean, if even if they weren't, even if they say that this particular woman she should you you she shouldn't have had this violent reaction, and it's a criminal offense, you know, by by destroying this art, they still wanted to see it removed and, t and taken down. So I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of intellectual inconsistency to go around on this. I think the only people that can really save us now is, is South Park. Yeah. <laughs> we need another. Save us South Park. Yeah. Your only hope. Well, th there's probably more to discuss on this. I mean, I could, I could rant for a while, but we should, we should move on to uh, shit that's going on on the Facebook page. Jared. That is right. On our Facebook page, we have had a good amount of activity from the people who seemingly maybe are listening to they us. might not even be listening but if you were Facebook. listening you will remember last week we we had a discussion of the uh anti-tax ballot initiatives coming up and the question arose is uh colorado's initiative process good or bad can we think of any in amendments citizen sponsored amendments that have actually benefited us uh michael davidson had a lot to say he pointed to amendment 20 of course that is the uh, medical marijuana law he also pointed to amendment 23 he says amendment 23 also passed in 2000 mandated increased spending on k-12 through education so probably a net positive although it has made balancing the state budget harder than the past three years so the final verdict is out Unquote. And then Julio Trujillo. Julio. Julio Trujillo. Sorry. Julio. Uh, <laughs> says, quote, there have actually been a lot. A35, a tobacco tax that increased funds to health programs. A37, requirement that Colorado utilities dedicate an increasing percentage of its energy sources to renewables and referen referendum C&D. So, okay. Thanks for your input. We stand, we stand quite corrected. Uh, like so usual. We'll mention, just a quick plug again, you can find us on iTunes. Go to the iTunes store. Search Denver Diatribe will come up. Uh, we're at di DenverDiatribe.com, and from there you can link to our Facebook page. You can follow us at Twitter at, at Denver Diatribe. Love and hate. Uh, let's start with Joel this week. I have some love this week. Uh, the three of us at the Denver Diatribe are kind of podcast connoisseurs, 
and I think I found a new podcast I thoroughly enjoy. It's called The Sound of Young America. It's a podcast version of a public radio show, but, but I'm not sure if you can get it here in Colorado. It's kind of this younger, hipper version of Fresh Air. Um, you know, I, I think I started by listening to an interview with Jonathan Ames, which was fantastic. Oh, I love um, him. Yeah, talk, you know, I talked about his show, Bored to Death. And this week, I listened to an interview with Mary Roach, who's the author of books such as uh, Spook and Stiff and Boink, kind of this kind of humorous take on scientific topics. And it was okay. fantastic. Cool. Sounds good. And it's the sound of young America. Yeah, the sound of young we'll America. We'll link to it on our site, uh, on the Facebook page, our Facebook page as well. Jared. I hate the name Comfort Dental Amphitheater. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm pretty sure that everyone I've ever met hates that as well. This, of course, used to be called Fiddler's Green for years and years and years. Then somewhere along the line, I don't, I don't even remember, all of a sudden it came out and that Comfort Dental, the chain of pay dental uh, outfits, all of a sudden sponsored this place. And it's, now, we, now, we have, now every time we want to see a concert, Comfort Dental? <laughs> so it, I know that we should all be getting we've getting gotten used to uh, our public places being named after random corporations and things like that. But they should have been a little bit more considerate of how uh, this was going to play when you're you know having concerts and it has to enter into our mental lexicon. That's good. My my hate is a little bit simpler. I'm just going to hate on the Denver Post website and its stupid disingenuous pop-up ads. They they're relentless and they're the disingenuous kind where it says close in the upper left-hand corner and you close it and it still goes to the ad anyway and then you have to go back to the site and do it again that the second time it actually closes. So screw you Denver Post web developers and advertisers. And I am sympathetic to how hard it is to run a newspaper these days. But just keep it reasonable. That's all the reasonableness we have time for. We will see you next week. And again, at Denver Diatribe on Twitter, DenverDiatribe.com, and subscribe via iTunes. For Joel Warner and Garrett Jekang-Mayer, I'm John Dicker, and we are out.